Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounce on its point, wow. The fakes, the gods are with the gods. She had style, she had flesh, she was the au pair. <laughs> Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I am Emma Race. I am Lucy Race. I'm Nicole Hayes. And I'm your Prime Minister, Alicia (laughs) (laughs) Now that's a boat I can get behind. Welcome to the buy edition of the Outer Sanctum podcast. We're looking down the barrel into September and it's an exciting time, Lucy Race. And Kate took the buy so seriously that she's not here. (laughs) Yeah, she didn't know that we were working still. No, she's gone to Sydney. She's literally battling for the bridge today, Mm. I think. Um, Nicole, last round of footy was pretty exciting. There was some farewells and there was all sorts of things happening, actually. Yeah, so there were a bunch of farewells, which we'll get to later, but I love a bit of a debut and an exciting debut for Elliot Himmelberg, who I'm going to vote for having the best name in the AFL now, and I might steal it for a character and a story. But he kicked his first goal and the whole... Um, the whole team, you know, at last round of the mm. season, um, of the home and away, and just seeing the whole team sort of attack him on mass, it's delightful. And, you know, just a real opposite to a lot of the other stuff that's going on in other games. It's one of my favourite things, seeing how far people will run to come and celebrate someone's yes. first goal. And I think that's like a really lovely thing that's come, become part of football. When a backman does. Yeah, you was going to yeah. say, do you judge by Definitely. the distance Yeah, I always yeah. like to see the full back. There. And no stragglers. <laughs> Everyone's got to be in, right? On I, mass. I also judge the distance that's travelled by a chairing off. Like mm. a 30 centimetre walk, not enough. It no. needs to be at least, uh, I think it needs to be at least five metres. Well, I'm thinking 15 metres, like a kick. Okay. You know, at least as long as a solid kick, a real kick. You know, kick. something that they could consider, those little chairs that they cut the legs off for the guy to sit in behind the goals and he minds the balls in the <gasps> yes, freezer bag. Nice. Nice. Why don't they just put them on that chair and then everyone grab a leg or a throne of, of the actual chair. Do they cut the legs off? Or are they those ones that you sit on at the beach? Oh, I like those them. really short ones. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you know that my husband can't sit on any of those chairs? He breaks them all. Oh, is he's a man mountain. He's very he's large. I don't think very he's tall. not especially, it's just that he's very big. He is big. Hey, the race for the um, Coleman was kind of coming down to the last game, Lucy. It was, and it was a shame that Buddy didn't play, although yeah. as a Hawthorne supporter it probably made <laughs> a difference. <laughs> but it's always a shame when Buddy doesn't play because he's just awesome to watch. But Jack took it out. Mm. Good mm. old Jack. Jack at um, 65 goals. Ben Brown... Had a chance, but didn't quite get there. He finished on 61. And then Tom Hawkins brought up third with 58 goals. So Jack has won it before in 2012, also on the exact same amount. But the goal kicking, if you look at the Coleman over time, the number, it's gone Mm -hmm. down. And I think it's because we're seeing so many um, different goal kickers. And I think that's a great sign. Yeah, the small 
That, that, I mean, there's a lot of talk about that, that there won't be any more hundreds, are there? And with all the small forwards. Alicia, you were watching the Hawthorne Sydney game. Were you watching it through <laughs> gritted teeth and through your hands? Look, I do my part by sort of closing my eyes and then Hawthorne do better. That's, that's just a fact, right? <laughs> so the third quarter, I just couldn't keep up with it. My heart was going and I think there's a lot of people out there who would rightly criticise me as being a fair weather fan because I turned the TV off for a second, <laughs> played some canasta and then went back and um, went to the last it? quarter and I fixed it yeah. totally. It's yeah. called self-care, Alicia. Yeah. <laughs> canasta. I haven't heard the word canasta. Hearts Trumps. Is that that one? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember yeah, yeah, mum yeah. and grandma used to play it? Or 500. Hearts are Trumps. That's, oh, so that's, that's 500. 500. That's 500. Yeah. yeah. So I was doing that rather than watch. <laughs> that's hilarious. But, but it's just a finals thing. The Hawthorne-Richmond finals actually brought up something quite stressful for me. So um, for 93 years, Hawthorne and Richmond have been in the same competition and they have never played each other in a final. They've been in the same final series, but they've never actually met each other. Now, I should have realised that this was an omen because that's 93 years. In 1993, I married my tiger-loving husband and I've always really put a lot of um, store in the fact that we've never met in a final, that we are still married. Mm. And that's all <laughs> about to be tested. I'm actually my twin brother is a Tigers fan, so we're How Hawthorne. does this happen? I know. Oh no, he, he's best friend back for Tigers, and so he changed in prep. That's how. <gasps> yeah, we didn't oh. kiss a boy like you did that got a Alicia, and you changed yours because you got a crush on a boy. I didn't even kiss him. We kind he of was had just a crush on a boy, didn't he? The crossing lady's son, and I just thought he was cute. And he went for Hawthorne. Yeah. Great. Oh yeah, yeah. Sounds like a they embraced kid. me. The whole family was happy. Mm. And I went over and it was a happy team. Wow. <laughs> and very family. When family you started team. that story, Lucy, I thought you were going to say they haven't played each other for 93 years and that is how long I've been married. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly. Feels <laughs> like um, How do you guys feel about a Thursday night final? Because um, Felicity Race has had to rejig her whole work life balance mm. to be yeah. able to make it on a Thursday night. I think it took us all by surprise. Mm. And in fact, I saw Peggy O'Neill during the week and she was even surprised. She mm. was that they had put in plans and put in place what they thought was going to be a Friday night final. Yep. And it's to save the grass at the MCG. Is that, am I right? Forget the players. That? Let's focus on the grass. But TV. is it because it's, it's because, television. okay, it's TV. All right. it's, uh, it's not only television. I mean, it's also they put that, this game knowing that It'll just have a, a record. No matter when they play sales. it. Sales. It'll just In no matter In my mind, when. Thursday night is bin night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Me really too. not yeah. footy night. But I'm actually, I'm at doing a gig at the MCG that day and they've had to change the time. They've had to push everybody back at half an hour. It's fascinating. Story. Do you think there will be 100,000 people at this final? How many of them will be Hawks? It'll be all Tigers, won't it? Isn't that their well, membership? our membership is... Pretty big. When I say 18. our, I know people hate Hawthorne. Mm. I just got a tweet about someone, some arrogant Hawthorne person was being smug on Twitter. Oh. And then we all get roped in with that. And so I just... <laughs> blanket <laughs> apology. Sorry, yeah. everyone. Apologies I know. Two-year rebuild, it's been a real tough gig for us. I'm so sorry. I do apologise. But even it. saying that, people go like, oh, look, it's smug Hawthorne apologising. Mm. Yep. You yeah. can't get it right. Even being no gracious. Matter, no matter who's in the grand final it's going to be a biggie i mean gws perhaps doesn't have the same fan base but um it's still going to be huge here's a fun fact do you know gws has the highest membership for the aflw 
remember. Yes. I did not I did know, know, that. know that. All those fridges bla- mm. flapping in the breeze. And I understand so many good players. But what's amazing is the attendance for the whole year. The AFL has recorded the largest attendance numbers on record in 2018 with over 6.8 million fans attending. Um, it's jumped more than... 160,000 on the previous year. Is that year. just the AFLM season or is that incorporating AFLW as well? That is well? a brilliant Isn't question. It? I've mm. got them every now and then. <laughs> who, has, who has a theory about – see, I have a theory based on years of going to grand finals. There it is again, sorry. Um, that <laughs> – we lost a lot of them if that makes you feel better. Do you want us to boo every time <laughs> one of us says something Hawthorne. smug Hawthorne, yeah. let's boo each other? Yeah, we need a little yeah. sound effect. Yeah. Um, that – it's better to lose the last home and away before the finals, that that helps you. So the yeah. Tigers got a bit of a scare, given that they're the clear favourites at this point. They got a bit of a scare, but they didn't lose. And I feel like that will bite them on the bottom. Except they were resting players up. and they just phoned it in. Yeah, no, I think you need to be, you need to feel pain, a little bit of pain and a little bit of frustration. <laughs> I don't think they felt any pain. But I know, so they're going to lose. That's my theory. Everyone's going to forget it because we have a buy. Yeah. Well, that's true. That That is based on when the days when we didn't have one. You know what a buy is? It's eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. <laughs> oh. It just wipes everything that's gone before. It's like pregnancy and birth. Do you know what I think a buy round is? It's like, you know, in something like Mission Impossible where they're doing a full-on chase scene that goes dun, forever dun, and so they dun. chase and then they dun, walk dun. through like a bar mitzvah or <laughs> a dining room with chandeliers and then they walk very quietly yes or they get into a lift yes. and then the minute that's over they're they back run again. on running yeah. so this is basically elevator with but this is the boring like in the elevator with music who yeah. do you think most people want to win the grand final is it Melbourne? Is it yeah. the, is the thing? Yeah, they're the, they're probably the the loyal the um probably underdogs. Well, I they? have an omen, courtesy of um Kate Burke, and true to form, it's an agricultural omen, Brilliant. which I think is quite nice, although it's kind of sad news. Her omen says, in two thousand and six, we had a big East Coast drought, record grain and fodder prices. Melbourne in the finals and West Coast won. 2018, again, big East Coast drought, record fodder and grain prices, Melbourne in the finals, dot, dot, dot. So I think Kate is predicting Mm. a West Coast premiership. Omens are everywhere. Mm. I love our listeners that they can pull an omen out of um, the wheat belt. But has has anyone stood out, though, this year? Do you think, I mean, Richmond. 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 But anyone else? Usually you've got like a top three, top four. It's Richmond's to lose for mine. It's Richmond's to lose. And I reckon they might. You heard it here first. (gasps) I think Collingwood will challenge too. Uh, I think Collingwood's mm. good, like despite injuries and everything. Fascinating. Ah, yeah, clearly. You say fascinating. fascinating. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it. Do you know why? Why? I can't. I will never shake the feeling of Collingwood winning a grand final. That has stayed with me forever and it really impacts the entire universe. Mm. I feel like the the world moves differently on the axis. It did. Don't yeah. you think? It does. Things yeah. tilt. No, and I it like, never gets back to the I way like it was. Collingwood. Yeah, no, I'm not it's, saying it's a bad thing. I'm just, just saying it, sh- it shakes the world. It's a fab- it rip in the fabric of space-time. Something happens, yeah. Yeah, yeah get the DeLorean. Agreed. Get the DeLorean out. Okay, let's roll up our sleeves and melee, ladies. There was um, people lining up <laughs> online last night for the... All day. Uh, yesterday, yesterday. All day. People all day. trying to get tickets for the finals. And um, the ticketing outlet pooed its pants. Aww. Lucy? 
Well, the I think the official line, as opposed to pooing your pants, was that an operator error in the website traffic load balancing setup yeah. was to blame, which mm. is basically not switching it to busy. Yeah, well, yeah. who programmed all this to happen on the one day and who didn't mm. predict that, over that this would be full on? Hundreds uh, of thousands of people will do it. Did anyone try it? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was... Part of it. Yeah. I was drinking... Um, Tequila? No, I was drinking Rescue, Rescue Remedy? Remedy all day. Right. Because, no, the, the the thing that... You kept getting this blank black screen with the um, information about how everybody's thousands of AFL fans are transacting right now, and on it goes, and then it says, we are directing you in once, you know, five seconds, four seconds, three seconds, then ten seconds, nine yeah. seconds. It kept going back it, to the top yeah, and starting again. That's time travel. It's very confusing. <laughs> so I guess that we this part of the, the whole conversation, the ticketing, mm. I would like to dedicate that to our dear sister and comrade Felicity, Felicity yeah. race because nobody – I mean, we say enjoys a ticketing mm. issue. If, for those of you playing along at home who haven't heard us retell this story is that she gets so distracted. If someone is sitting in the wrong seat and then the other person comes along and says, oh, have you got – I've got <laughs> – K14 and you're sitting in K15 and uh, she it's like it doesn't matter everything falls away in the whole universe and it's just her and the ticketing issue she's only got eyes for that like it is it is so distracting to her it is absolutely her kryptonite and she can lock in and she'll never be the same again and she fixes it she's a joy to go to the movies she just watches it she Mm. just watches the whole thing but I wanted to out something here which is a um it's a long-held family um vernacular um that we use which is being um, up at Carlisle. And I wanted to out it today because I think nothing, there's nothing quite like finals ticketing issues and finals generally that gets you up at Carlisle. What this refers to is my friend Duffy, um, that's her surname, Duffy comes from um, a long um, line of uh, Scottish family and um, Duffy's mum as a young child, when her when she was travelling on the train with her eight siblings and she'd be travelling from London north towards Glasgow, her, her mum, so Duffy's grandma, used to make the eight children... And the two parents and all their luggage get up at Carlisle, which is a train station, on the way to Glasgow, and wait in the doorway so that they were ready to get off when they when they reach Glasgow. Carlisle is an hour and twenty minutes on the train away from Glasgow. <laughs> so up at Carlisle now means getting your keys out when you're at the movies and you're watching the credits roll, or Too just early. before, or, or so it's the same as the minute that we stop recording the podcast when Nicole Hayes gets. So Mikey card This out. is true. This yeah. is true. Well, what if I miss the train? Mm, yeah, true. Exactly. We are all guilty of Carlisling <laughs> from time to time, yeah. but there's nothing that brings it on more than finals and ticketing and the way that you prepare for a ticketing oh, um, even. What do onslaught, you do? Lucy. What do you do? Yeah. I can't tell everyone because then they'll all know my skills. <laughs> ah. No, it's it's actually bad. I, I get very, very anxious about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, no um, kidding. Yeah, it's There's nothing worse than missing out too. We would love to hear when you're up at Carlisle and if you could start hashtagging Carlisling it up or getting up at Carlisle and let us know what it is you do, you know. Mm, I imagine it. there'll be some players getting up at Carlisle and then sitting oh, back yes. down because of the bye. Yeah. So the AFL had a media release about it and said, you know, sorry, this is happening. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Basically, I'm paraphrasing. But do you think it was good enough? I mean, do you think that Ticket no. Tech will be in trouble for this? Well, 
Slap Somebody will be in trouble for this. I mean, I just don't understand what they, how they can justify it. It's the, not like the grand final's a surprise. Is like, it? Or the, the finals are mm. a surprise. Do you know who who must be happy? I picture the other ticketing outlet <laughs> yeah. who was looking after the game in the West, sitting there like, you know, the smug sibling when your brother gets in trouble because yes. your brother's really stuffed something up. Yes. They'll yeah. put out a report today saying how accurate and how mm. quick people are getting their tickets or something like that because yeah. that's what my middle child does. She goes like, but I was good, wasn't I, Mum? Yes. Yeah, you were good. <laughs> Do you have um, an imaginary brother? Yes. yes. His yes. name's John. 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 That's a whole other episode. Um, okay, during the week there was a press conference from Collective Minds, which made me go, "Why, Lucy?" Yes, so this um, this story's bubbled away all year about the Adelaide preseason camp, and there's been lots of rumours and a number of anecdotes. Some have been confirmed, some have been denied. What does seem unprecedented is that an organisation would actually come out and call a press conference to tell their side of the story. And it made me think, why would they do that? And I think it's because it's actually now become big business. Um, You know, it's no secret that one of the trends in high-performance teams is um, focusing on what goes on above the shoulders. You'll remember we talked earlier this year about teams embracing vulnerability and like, why wouldn't they? After the Bulldogs won their premiership in 2016, you'll remember there was so much made of Bevo's coaching style. There was an interview with him after the grand final where he stated that his coaching mantra was be patient, be understanding, and importantly, be human. So their success was then followed by Richmond's. And again, we heard how important the above the shoulders stuff was. There were, you know, the themes of positivity and vulnerability and collective trust. And that abounded in all of the stories around their premiership. But something else emerged too, and that's the importance of stability. And we talked about this a little bit the other, uh, in the previous episode where we talked about the book, The Football Solution. So stability backing the coach, having a stable board and making sure that the team behind the team is happy and everyone's on the same page. This year, I think we've seen some similar stories about how Collingwood has taken a leaf out of Richmond's book and you can't argue that they're not reaping the benefits because like, who knows how deep they're going to go in September despite some you know, really big injury list. We know they've just managed to keep you know, continuing to find a way and play good football. So we've joked about Buckley's beard, but there is something lighter and more approachable about Bucks, you'd have to say. Um, he seems happy and connected to his players. And I was interested by an article that Richard Hines wrote um, for the ABC where he contends that that's part of it. But the other part is stability again, that the club um, pre-season made some changes, but importantly decided to back Buckley. Alistair Clarkson was speaking to Jared yesterday on Tuesday and he also mentioned that when Hawthorne lost their president and CEO, it had an effect on the 2016 and 2017 season, which is the first time I've heard him say that. Um, And he was saying that now things are stable at the club, they're back playing finals. So my question is... um, in a time when we change our Prime Ministers more frequently than we change our batteries in our smoke detectors, has football finally learnt that stability is a new black? Picking up on what we said last week, I would actually say no, Chris Judd. I'd argue that mm. the non-human behaviours are not the key to final success and that maybe Maslow was onto something with his hierarchy of needs, that stability and security are essential foundations and you get that by trusting your people and staying the course. And then you can build the strong human connections on top of that and ultimately achieve the football version of self-actualisation, a premiership. 
I really hope that um, stability is the new navy blue because if we see the blues stick fat with their current team and, you know, give give time for bolts to settle in and um, and for that playing group to really find their feet and have some really stable mm. um, at board level as well, then I think that that would be the perfect evidence. Yeah, and I think it's St Kilda as well. Yeah, I just think, I, I mean, it was a really problematic arrangement in the first place, this, this group to start with. There's not, not one qualified psychologist, 25 staff were on, on the camp with Adelaide and they were asked that directly and they, they acknowledged that that was true. They had two people with a counselling degree, which is not the same as a psycho, you know, training in psychology or any sort of accreditation. Um, but I think that there's this thing, so back on the back of that, this idea that, you know, it's about some clubs have not really understood what, the value of that is. And so it is kind of like a ticking the box process. So we've got fitness, we've got nutrition, we've got, you know, body, condition, all those things, brain. That's the other thing. And they're not treating, they're treating the brain like it's just a, a thing a that's jar. chemical and, and neurons and, and not like it's a mind and not like it's unique. And so they've got this one size fits all approach. They're not valuing the players as individuals the way that they need to. They're not recognising that having this blanket approach is not going to necessarily work for everybody and that actually it can be quite damaging and dangerous and it's not allowing for cultural specificity or, you know, the the emotional or psychological or the actual background of Mm. a player. And I just wanted to call attention to... um, I mentioned that oil rig uh, some time ago that there was a very... um, an oil rig that was had very high death rate, very high casualty rate, and one of the issues that was that was recognised was that this had this toxic culture of hypermasculinity, and that, that the workers there weren't able to say, "I don't know how to do anything," and that they couldn't show any vulnerability, and so that they had this intensive training uh, in of vulnerability. What I didn't mention last time is that there was one of the oil riggers who was broken down so completely that he was never the same again. And this is where, you know, it can seem like a really sort of amazing antidote to what is perceived to be a problem or an, a, an ailing that needs to be redressed, but it's far more complex, far more nuanced than that. And the sooner we recognise that footballers and elite sports people are actual humans with their own hearts and heads, the, the better, you know, we can mm. get at accommodating the whole well-being of the, of the player and not just the individual boxes. I just think it's funny that the first time the Collective Minds was mentioned after the press release or the, the presser this earlier this year that it was quite funny and strange and out of the blue, like why the distance between when it happened and then. And now for this to come out right this second, it's just such an odd timing. I think they said they really wanted to readdress um, some of the things that had been said about mm. them as yeah. a business, which I'm like, just walk away yeah. and change your name. Yeah, um, <laughs> quickly. But, but um, they said we'll do it after Adelaide are out of the out yeah, of contention. The so yeah. and it's so funny because it was almost like the siren went yeah. press conference, <laughs> and they pointed blame. Yeah. But I think you know what we've seen is that in teams like Richmond, where it's actually very authentic, meaningful, um, wide ranging changes and and addressing a lot of these um, issues in a very comprehensive way, mm-hmm. you actually see that that's. Can be successful. Can be successful. One thing that I loved, there was a bit of a commentary watch with all of this collective mind stuff. I heard people talking about on Talkback Radio. And do you know how many times I heard instead of saying above the shoulders, they're saying above the head? I'm like, that's (laughs) just hair. That's like Vidal Sassoon. That's not collective (laughs) minds. That's collective hairs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. For those who have them. Um, Nicole, did you have an update for us on the delisted list? 
The delisted list. That's so hard to say, isn't it? We did the, the there's a the bunch D-list. of players who <laughs> That's us. D list. Yeah, right. D listed or retired list. Yeah. Um so some of them are, are sort of better known than others, but we've um from the Adelaide Crows, Sam Gibson and Curtly Hampton have retired. And the delisted players are Harry Deer, Jackson Edwards and Ben Jarman. And obviously some of the bigger names are Brendan Goddard and, and earlier in the year, Kurt Tippett. Um, and Cyril Rioli. And Cyril Rioli. But can we put an asterisk next to his name? Because there has been talk that Clarko has been on the phone to him. So, you know. I mean, the word is that he said no. Yeah. But, well, um, he said, I did send Cyril a text message a couple of weeks ago just to say, listen, mate, you can just pop out of retirement for a couple of weeks if you like. <laughs> and I got a smiley face in response that suggests he's Doesn't enjoying like his happening. retirement in Darwin. <laughs> a smiley face. Yeah, so there's been some some big and smallish names, but I just kind of a minute silence for that. Well, not actual silence because that's boring on a podcast. But <laughs> acknowledgement of players, a couple of them who only played a couple of games and, you know, their career ended very early. Imagine if Cyril Rioli does the retiree um, motorcade right at the grand final and just say Hawthorne make it, and then he just goes, "Now nah, play." I've got a sta- oh. I've got a standing offer to play, and just rips off his suit, oh, and there's they- a Hawthorne jumper underneath, and then he just plays. They could helicopter him in like they did with Hutto. I just feel, I just feel like no one would not like that. Everyone, Everyone would, would love, love that, Everyone right? Would love that. They would hate the fact that Hawthorne might be there on grand final day, but they would like that Silrioli was yeah, there, absolutely. right? I think if we're going to talk about delisted players, we also have to mention Nathan Freeman, who yeah. had such a hard time with injury yeah. and played two games, and there's been a lot of discussion about whether St Kilda's making the right decision. Yeah. Lots of that, yeah. Ollie, what do you think? Ollie, our producer is out there. He's doing thumbs down. He's a sainter. He's saying no, silly. Yeah, idea. Yeah, he came in a pick 10. Like that's yeah, a big, exactly. big out to be out. Someone might go shopping and pick him up, mm, do you reckon? I'd say so. Um, another story that caught our eye this week. Oh, my gosh. Serena Williams just goes from strength to strength in being my absolute number one top person in the whole world who oh, I love. Is she higher than Beyonce for you now? Oh, right up there. I mean, they're besties, so mm. can I take two for one? I'm not someone who wears a face on a T-shirt, but I would wear Serena Williams oh, on a, on a T-shirt. Awesome. There's a lot of kerfuffle in the week about her catsuit and how awesome she is, but the French Tennis Federation president said in a tennis magazine that she went too far and that she shouldn't have been wearing it um, because it was all kinds of wrong. But of course, she was wearing it for health reasons. Um, it outraged a lot of fans, and people explained that she wore the ensemble both with her health in mind and to inspire mothers. And I can't see the problem at all, and nor could millions of people. But Serena Williams made it clear during her first match at the US Open that she will not let a dress code dictate what she wears on the court. So she wore. A tutu. <laughs> a black and brown, one-shouldered, custom-designed tutu dress by designer and off-white founder Virgil Abloh in collaboration with Nike. The 36-year-old competed with his outfit with compression fishnet tights and a pair of sparkly <laughs> silver Nike Court flare sneakers as she won her match Go against Serena. Magdalena. She is nailing God. feminism. Bang on. Yes. Nailing yes. it. She Actual awesome. official goddess yeah. of the universe. The because how can you say that catsuit was somehow offensive and not in line with the tournament? I mean, it's just a ridiculous thing. If she's saying it's for health, how does, how does it affect other people? It's so stunning how people have so much... Um, 
um, they feel that they can have so much discourse about her body. And did you read the article about her coach telling her to give up breastfeeding? Oh, yeah. Um, and she's just pushing back in the most beautiful way and just with so much grace and just ferociousness. Ferociousness. Ferocity. Ferocity. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Ferocity. That's a word. 2 2, biggest F you ever. Oh, God. 2 2 F you. Yeah. Love it, Alicia. Um, another person who is a goddess is Miss Darcy Vessio. Nicole? Love her work. So she kicked a tidy nine on the weekend in the VFL match for Carlton against Essendon. Um, that, and it means she nailed the um, leading goal kicker for the VFLW, 26 goals. But what was really interesting is she was saying that, um, you know, weighed in on the conversation about the AFLW season. And she said that if the season gets longer, the girls will play better footy because you don't think every game is an absolute must win, that that puts extra pressure on. And that with the current season, if you lose a game, it's just about season over. Um, She also noted that was acknowledged that the AFLM players had been fairly silent on it, even though they'd been quite supportive quietly behind closed doors. And I think in possibly the, the, the nicest summation of how privilege works, she said, it's normal for them. They don't, and she was defending them. I want to be clear about that. She said, it's normal for them. They don't have to promote their game. They don't realise how much power they would have among people making decisions. That's actually the definition of privilege. Sing it, So sing it. Absolutely, Darcy Vessio. Loving your work. God, I love that girl so much. Mm. I hope she's not listening because that would just be embarrassing for her to find out. (laughs) Oh, we've embarrassed ourselves beyond belief. We really have, haven't we? We have. I know, we have. Okay, I have a little update. Um, you know, I've been banging on about Beck Brideson's book, yeah. um, Blind Spot, for such a long time, and there's some really salient things that come out of. I just listened to a great podcast with her with the CPA. So, Beck Brideson, um, a recent uh, recently won B and T Women in Media um, Award for the best ad campaign for the I liked I'd like to see that AFLW season one campaign, which was of course a hark back to something that we had seen a couple of decades earlier. Um, but her book, Blind Spot, is amazing, and there's a few things that. Um, in listening to this podcast and reading a few things that she has written of late that just really struck me because I know that we're at an impasse with the AFLW and with um, scheduling and fixturing and um, broadcast rights and a lot of that comes down to the commercial realities of um, women's sport and what women's sport can attract from a commercial supporter. And I have been scratching my head reading these statistics. If you are or you know someone who owns a business this is mind-blowing. Just to put this in perspective, the, the economy of female is so much greater than the economy of male. So globally, the economy is worth about $35 trillion. Wow. Right? The female portion of that attributed to female consumerism is $28 trillion. Wow. So that's 80%. But the decisions being made at the top of the tree in most corporations is being made by men because there's such a f- so few female CEOs. So basically, by Beck Brideson um, makes this point that by 2028, women will be responsible for 75% of discretionary household spend. So by 2028, in 10 years' time, so the women and girls who are playing AFL now, we know how many um, women have been engaged and how many girls are now playing this sport, right? So the 10-year-olds of today will be the 20-year-olds of that 
of that time in 2028, and they will be responsible for 75% of discretionary household spend. What we also know is that women are really brand loyal. So if you got in on the ground floor now with those women and girls and supported the thing that they love, that you are just going to have for the rest of time, you're going to enjoy the success of those women carrying you on their shoulders. There is so much opportunity here for commercial um, brands to really make an impact on their business and on women at the same time. I don't understand why the, the, the female lens is not being kind of blinding to these people it who have so these they, it um, seems so obvious and they don't do their research because there's not enough women on boards and there's not enough female CEOs that are making the difference in the workplaces they need to be getting up at Carlisle on it if they got up at Carlisle it is ching ching if, if I had something to sell seriously mm. and I mean we already speak mm. to women here but we can't really commercialise that because we're at the ABC God bless and we love it but I'm just saying if you have a, um, a brand that you that you are selling or that you're wanting to mm. sell, especially if you think about retail well, brands online and things like that, there is markets just sitting there waiting to carry you into the future and make you a, baz- a bazillionaire. And if you want to think about sport, you've reminded me of something by mentioning Beck, um, her involvement in that first AFLW launch campaign. I don't know if you've seen the cricket, the Australian women's cricket team's campaign. Mm. It's a short film hashtag watch me and the little tag that goes with it is ever been told you can't do something but you know you can watch me is our Mm. answer and I swear I've watched that film I reckon 30 times it's what's motivating me to get up in the morning now Mm. and I think what we're seeing in cricket is a real understanding of um, what they've got there in terms of a product and I think you know the other thing that I'm looking forward to is hearing some women who will be commentating those games um, and they'll be commentating the men's games as well. So we've seen Fox Footy and SEN come out and name a number of women who are going to be part of their cricket commentary. commentary. It's been, I mean, the AFLW certainly at the beginning really got that wave of interest and sponsorship and there was a lot of clubs that got a lot of money and it's why the clubs got so excited and decided even if they hadn't that first round to pitch for licences because there is all of that potential. However, if there is not the support from the broadcasters and when you start messing with the pro- the product, and we can even call it a product for the purposes of this, where you literally don't know what Bree Brock was saying regarding selling thin air, this idea that we don't know how to promote it because we don't have a product, we're not clear on what the rules are, that in many ways this has thwarted the the or the poor handling of fixturing and and um, scheduling and future kind of vision for the game has really thwarted the potential for sponsorship and to make it a really commercial prospect. But I would say um, if you build it, they will come. I think so. So They've just got to be patient. Yeah, any commercial... um, anyone who's commercially minded out there who can see this opportunity. It's like the the facts don't lie and the stats don't lie. And it's that we're all blinded by the fact that, you know, these commercial arrangements are all um, led by Mm. men. Mm -hmm. And it's not, look, it's not just commercial. It's, you know, if you think about how you want your community sporting club to 
prosper in the future, you need to be making changes now um, to make sure that you're actually servicing all of the community and not just 50% of it. Future proof. Which is really interesting because there was a great article um, this week by Steph Curry in the Players Tribune, which I think we put on Twitter and also on our Facebook. And I'm just going to pull one quote from it. And he says, and in 2018, here's the truth. You're not world class if you're not actively about inclusion. And the article mm. kind of goes from that point and makes the point beautifully that it is time that you're going to get left behind. And in fact, um, I'll, I'll talk about this a bit later, but I was at the um, Richmond BNF um, for the VFLW team the other night and Neil Baum got up. And Neil Baum is old school footy, man, so old school and just so scruffy and delightful. He had his tie all kind of dishevelled even at the start of the night, and but so lovable. And he stood up and he said, how can we possibly have a club that has 100,000 members and so many of them are women yet not have women play? Like it just all of a sudden he said, I didn't think that we would ever see women play. I didn't give it one second's thought. But, of course, now that we do, it's making this a better place. It's making Tigerland a really inclusive and awesome place. And I'm so invested in it and I'm so excited to see it. And I think when I say things like um, men are, that men are not putting on the female lens in the business sense I'm not being down on men it's really hard to see it if you don't live it mm-hmm. but one example that Beck Brideson gives is that she says you know when people are about to have a new baby you often buy a new car because your car's not safe enough to put a baby capsule in or not big enough or whatever it is um, and the other th- big purchase that you buy is a pram <coughs> why has no car company come out with a pram that comes with the car that fits into the boot and I'm like Oh, hello, greatest so idea true. of all time. <laughs> and it's because women are not making those decisions in the engineering department of whatever car brand. But imagine if you were oh. buying a new, brand new car and there was an actual cradle that held your pram, which meant that you could still put your shopping on top. Imagine the first um, milk bar that is drive-through so you can get, like, <laughs> yeah. seriously, so you don't bread and milk and you don't have to get the kids because out of the car. you had to get the baby out and it was always a nuisance, wasn't it? I always thought that about paying Petrol. at the pump. Yes. Yeah, I know, same thing. But it's I don't think women are making these decisions. No. Anyway, we've got a perfect interview that fits straight bang into this wheelhouse. We hope you enjoy it. In 2016, BHP set itself the ambitious target to have 50-50 gender equality globally by 2025. One of the people with this objective firmly on their plate is Fiona Vines, the Global Head of Inclusion and Diversity at BHP. You meet the most interesting people in the outer and we met Fiona, a passionate St Kilda supporter, at the Pride Game earlier this year and we're keen to have a chat with her about her experience at BHP and how it might be relevant in the world of AFL. Thank you so much for joining us today, Fiona. Thanks, Lucy. It's great to be here. So when this target for gender equality was set, 17% of your workforce were women and they were mostly concentrated in clerical positions. Why was it seen as important to set such an ambitious and aspirational goal? Well, prior to this goal being set in 2016, like a lot of other organisations, BHP's progress on this issue had been glacial. So very, very slow progress over many years, despite there being some some targets in place and some activities to drive change. And so our CEO, Andrew McKenzie, who is um, a deep believer in the benefit of a diverse and inclusive workforce, um, decided that we needed to to do something really disruptive. And so that's why this goal was announced. So um, we don't believe in the incremental approach to to getting this issue right. We believe you need to be bold. And so the gender balance <coughs> aspiration that we have 
uh, which is to ensure that our operations all around the world are gender balanced by 2025 is really about being bold, about being disruptive, and most importantly, it doesn't bake in any discrimination right from the beginning. So when we talk about balance, we talk about we want our workforce to reflect society. Mm. So we're not happy with a 35% target for women. We're not happy with an incremental increase every year. It's about getting to that position uh, by 2025 uh, that that shows that we reflect society. Um, It certainly mobilised us in a way that had never been seen before. It was a shock to to our organisation. And frankly, I think it was a bit of a shock to to the outside world as well. (laughs) There hadn't been too many organisations, particularly in the mining sector, which is very masculine, uh, very male-dominated industry. Um, And so it it really did galvanise a lot of change, um, both at the top of the organisation, but probably most importantly, at the grassroots. So it really resonated strongly, not always positively, but certainly strongly. So why is diversity so important? I mean, from an ideological point of view, I can see that, but on a practical level. I mean, I could talk for an hour about all of these <laughs> things, right? So um, there are so many benefits to, to having an organisation that, that is actually diverse and reflects society. I'll just name a few and then you, you let me know what you want to sort of dive a bit <laughs> deeper on. Um, look, just to begin with, it just feels better. So a very masculine um, organisation like mining um, uh, where we have some crews and some teams where there are no women at all. They're entirely male um, composition. And we have had feedback um, consistently from men who work in our business to say it just feels a lot better having women around. It softens the masculinity of the place um, and it just feels like a more nurturing and a more realistic situation to be to be working in every day. And don't forget in mining, a lot of our people are also living in these communities or in these um, camps and they work very long shifts. So they're in these situations for um, longer periods of time, say, than you and I might be in our regular ways of working. One of the other really big benefits for us in mining is it's actually making us safer. And that's one of the most important things in our industry. And, And there's a number of reasons why that's happening. But one of them is we're having to redesign the way that work is done. Um, we've had many, many examples in our business where um, for many years, heavy lifting, dragging of things, shifting of things, climbing up onto things, that is just something that men have always done without really questioning. Uh, you get a woman who joins a crew and suddenly she can't do that anymore. Um, in fact, there's a really great story from one of our underground mines in Queensland where uh, they had one of these tasks where they had to carry 20 kilogram bags of paint powder down into the into the mine. And when a woman joined his crew for the first time, the team thought, well, we can't ask her to do that. We can't expect her to do that. Um, so one of the other guys had to take her load. And, and at the end of the shift, he went up to the supervisor and he said, see, I knew it was a bad idea to have women in the team because I had to do her work. You know, she couldn't carry the bags. And the supervisor said, hang on, why is anybody carrying 20 kilogram bags? That's not a process that's good for anybody. Um, And so that might seem obvious, Mm. right? Like why was that never questioned? But the reality is in a masculine environment, men don't feel that they can question those things. They just either go along with it or don't even think that it could be any different. 
And there are hundreds of stories like that where we have literally redesigned the way that work is done. There's another great story of one of our rail um, sheds in Port Hedland up in, in WA where um, we have literally people getting in under train carriages to do repairs. Um, and, you know, rather than them having to get down on the ground and roll underneath, now the equipment is uh, is suspended from the ceiling, which means pregnant women can continue to do their jobs. <laughs> for a lot longer than they used to be able to do before. So, And then finally, um, uh, another real benefit that we've seen, and this is enormous, is in the uptake of flexible working. So as we have started to think about how can we employ and retain more women in our business, we know flexible working is one of the game changers. It's really uh, something organisations really need to get very serious about. Um, And it has been enormously beneficial to the men in our organisation because um, just as much as women want balance in their life, actually, so do men. But often in our industry, that has never been an option. So the fact that we now have flexible rosters, the fact that we have job shares, the fact that men can take different time at different stages of their lives to be with their families has probably been the biggest benefit that we have seen. The benefits um, seem would seem evident to, I guess, a lot of the men who are working in this environment now. But when you launched this, did you have to do an education piece around it for the culture of your organisation to be able to accept it and for them all to be able to run with it? Absolutely. One of the downsides of um, the disruptive, bold goal was that we didn't um, get the chance to fully prepare people for it. Um, And so there was some backlash, for sure. You know, there was a sense of, well, what does this mean? Does this mean we're going to discriminate against men? Does this mean that um, men are not going to get promotions anymore? Does this mean we're going to employ women just because they're women, not because they're capable? Um, how can women possibly do these jobs, you know, et cetera? Um, so we, we you know, t- to be honest, we, we took a calculated choice that said we can either take the time to educate and prepare people and then wait till we think they're ready and then announce a big, bold goal. Or we can actually just announce the goal and then just move through that as quickly as we can and try not to leave anybody behind. And we chose the latter quite deliberately, but it did come at at a cost in terms of the backlash. Now that you've got that goal, can you are you having a moment where you're thinking, I can't believe we didn't do this earlier? I can't believe that this had to be on an agenda piece in 2018. <laughs> Well, I think for any of us who've worked in diversity for for a while, that's the the ever present question: is really are we still here talking about this in two thousand and eighteen? Um, look, I just think that is what it is. You know, is my reflection on that. I think that I'm um, I'm just really fortunate that I work in an organisation where this is a very topical issue, um, and it's not just because you know our CEO believes um, very passionately that it's the right thing to do, but it completely aligns with the strategy of the business. Mm. I mean, the future of mining is is changing. In fact, it's kind of already here with automation and and machines taking over a lot of work and we're going to need very different kinds of people in addition to the ones that we have today and the only way to tap into those talent pools is to be more open um, and to have an inclusive organisation that attracts a lot of people that we would never have attracted in the past. When you're talking about um, bringing about change like this and you know we've just talked about the cultural change, how much of the split is changing the culture versus changing systems and structures? It's a, it's a great question, Lucy. And often I get asked, you know, what would you, if you could only do one or the other, you know, change the mindset or change the systems and processes, what would you do? Um, of course, the answer is you need to do both. But to be really honest, if I could only do one, it would be the systems because systems actually outlast people. Mm. And systems are the things that can either 
uh, interrupt bias or can help the right decisions get made on a day-to-day basis while you continue to work with the mindsets and try to help people change their attitudes. It's a really good example of this is um, some organisations will have a process that they insist on a gender-balanced candidate list for a job, you know, gender-balanced shortlist. That's a process. Um, and by putting that process in place, and in my previous organisation, they, they actually had it down to the point where you couldn't issue the letter of offer for the job unless you know, that box was ticked. So it became a process mm. kind of thing, right? But what that actually helped to do was um, you captured every manager as they went through that recruitment process. They had to really engage with this idea of why is it important to have a gender balanced candidate list? And maybe the first couple of times they got annoyed by it and irritated, oh, this is bureaucracy, but eventually they start to change their minds because they start to interview some great women and they think, oh, wow, actually this is a good thing. So the answer is you need both, but I think we neglect systems. Mm. I think sometimes organisations think as long as our leaders get it, it's fine and we're going to be good. I don't believe that. I think you can have a leader who gets it, but leaders change. They come and they go. Systems, once they're in, they have to be consciously you know, redesigned. Speaking of male-dominated industries, um, uh, how do you think a lot of what you're doing could apply to the AFL, given that they've had issues in retention of, well, certainly of AFLW coaches, women coaching in those roles, but also mm. at all levels at the AFL, in certainly in decision-making, what could they take out of what you've been doing? Mm. I mean, if I look specifically on the retention issue, Um, and this might be where there's relevance for the AFL, you know, we we have an issue in the mining industry of retention of women. So not only were we not hiring enough women, but we're also losing them at a higher rate than we were losing men. And so a big part of our program has been to understand what's causing that and then to make sure we have a plan in place to address that. And when we analysed that and investigated that, we found there were two main reasons why women were leaving our company at a higher rate than men. One was that flexible working wasn't yet fully embedded and that women were just deciding, you know, um, early on even in their lives, you know, I can't see how I'm going to make that work. I can't see how I'm going to have a family and all of the things I want in my life and have this career. I'm not seeing anyone above me doing it and I'm just going to opt out. The second reason uh, was this uh, prevalence of what we started to call borderline behaviour, all this, these micro behaviours, this disrespectful everyday sexism, homophobia, disrespect that was going on, that women were um, feeling uh, in a disproportionate level. You know, men were also experiencing some of this culture as well, if I'm honest with you, but women were feeling it in a much deeper way. And so a lot of our work has been to to address both of those issues and in particular the respectful behaviour issue and is to, to really be very clear in our organisation about what we expect, what some of this disrespectful behaviour actually looks like and not being afraid to talk about that. So maybe that's something that could be you know, interesting for the AFL to understand is um, I don't think the issues are probably terribly different. I think once again, the the inevitable work-life blend and how do I make that work over different stages of my life and career, I think would apply to women in football just as much. And I have no doubt the respectful behaviour issue is, is potentially one for them to consider as well. BHP sponsor, the Adelaide um, Crows AFLW team. 
Why was it that BHP saw that that, that was a good partnership? Look, I think it's so important for for corporates to get behind the AFLW as it's in its uh, in its in early stages. Um, I mean, we know there's no television rights money going into that competition yet, um, and so the corporate involvement and obviously the AFL are very strong supporters as well is is really critical. You know, for us, it's absolutely aligned to our strategy of we want to increase the participation of women in any way that we can, um, and it's also very important to us. We have a big um, business in South Australia, the Olympic damn mine. We're one of the biggest employers in that state. Um, And we know actually that uh, football and AFL in particular, you know, disproportionately punches above its weight in terms of its ability to, to influence the societal, you know, dialogue, both in a good way and maybe sometimes also not such a good way. Um, and so very important um, uh, lever for us to be involved in that conversation and to show our support in its early stages. Fiona, it's been a tough year for your Saints to talk football. Um, how do the fortunes of a footy club on field affect a fan off field? And, you know, I know one of the things that's lovely about St Kilda is they are kicking some really major goals off the field in mm. terms of um, the LGBTIQ space. Um, how do you feel about your club? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a tough year. I'm not. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Um, my son Nick was born the year that Nick Rewalt was drafted to the Saints, and we are absolutely rusted on St Kilda family. So it's been a tough year. Um, I think we've seen some bright shoots, though. Up until last night, I would have said Nathan Freeman was one of them. But, you know, um, I think uh, you know. Looking forward, I think we're, we're getting some some good experience on our, onto our coaching you know team coming next year, you know, I'm clutching at straws here actually because (laughs) there hasn't been a lot of great things on field this year for us to to really talk about. Um, The upside of that is it hasn't interrupted my son's year 12 um, studies, so I'm excited about that. That's definitely an upside. Um, But look, I think that, you know, probably a bit similar to the Carlton Football Club as well, which I think is also doing amazing stuff in in the diversity space as well. I'm so proud of the St Kilda Football Club for what they're doing, particularly around pride. I think that, as I said earlier, I I see the power of AFL to disproportionately drive a conversation that a company like BHP could never do. And LGBT inclusion is particularly important. I think that it is one of the final frontiers of of discrimination that is still so evident Mm. at every layer of society in the workplace and particularly in sport. Um, You know, like I said, my son, he's he's 18. He's played AFL football since he could stand up. And the amount of homophobia that exists at the club level that we see playing out in society. And so I think the role of St Kilda in this has been um, really amazing and makes me really proud. And I think that um, good good on them for keeping that focus off field when obviously there's a lot of challenges on field. Thank you so much to Fiona Vines for coming in. Um, that was awesome. Um, now, I did mention before that I went to the Richmond BNF um, for the VFLW team, and I just wanted to say congratulations to Jess Kennedy, who um, took away the medal on the night. She was a really impressive leader, and I felt like Peggy O'Neill, Rana Hussein, and Nikki Malady were staging an intervention mm. and trying to get me across to Tigerland. Yeah. And Ooh, hands um, off. there yeah, was some, ours. I was really there was some tricky times there because mm. I like what's happening down there very much. It's I very had a pa- very nice time. Yep. It's so hard with so many great clubs that yeah. you just want to but 
Stay no. true. The highlight for me was, of course, when I was about to leave and Kate Sheehan called out, screamed across the room and said my name. And I firstly thought I was in trouble. And secondly, she said that she knew who we were and she likes the podcast, oh. which was shocking I didn't in news to me. Oh, and I and she and I talked about um, the fact that on their on her Fox footy show that they'd actually released that fixturing um query that then Eliza Sewell wrote about recently and we both stood there scratching our heads saying this fixturing issue has been you know around around and flying around for so long Um, but I had a lovely chat to a lot of the Richmond people and I really like what's happening down there if you are a Tigers fan you are very very lucky and Peggy O'Neill is absolutely she is our mascot really isn't she like the artist section no she's our she's our 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 leader she's our leader and um I felt really chuffed when Peggy came to say hello to me. She's the best. We love her. She's the best. She is the best. She's great. I think we need to have a footy trip with Peggy. Yes. Just saying. Um, Alicia, you had news from the Cattery. Yeah, this is exciting. Uh, Natalie Wood has become part of Geelong Cats history, the first female coach to be appointed with a full-time role, and she will be assistant coach of the Cats AFLW in 2019, as well as VFLW head coach. And her role also sees her undertake work at in the Next Gen Academy, which is really exciting. She played for the Western Bulldogs in the AFL Women's Exhibition matches in 2013, but she's played 190 games. She couldn't be more qualified. She's awesome. That's fantastic. Lucy, you had a story coming out of Lake Nash. Yeah, I did. I saw this story... um, from ABC reporter Lucy Murray. It's about the Lake Nash, Lake Nash Young Guns footy team. So Lake Nash, or Alpururulam, is an Indigenous community on the Queensland Northern Territory border. The Young Guns are this dedicated and devoted footy team who often play in socks or barefoot on a red dirt oval. And they love the game. As their club president, Renee Larkin, said, it's not just a game to these fellas. That's their life. It's love. They are very committed. And just to show you how or to tell you just how committed they are, two years ago their team bus broke down. So every weekend they have to make their own way with their own cars to the game. This game is, this is a 600-kilometre round trip to Mount Isa on rough roads. The cars are often smaller, so sometimes they can't actually take the whole team. And it costs up to, it can cost up to $800 for the trip. So what it means is that often the team actually go hungry. And they talk about how they actually like it if they hit a kangaroo because then they'll um, be able to eat. So, because petrol is so expensive, exactly, exactly. And the problem is, there, you know, where they, um, Lake Nash is just a very, very small town, and so there's not a lot of businesses to sponsor them. The team are looking for a sponsor, and they wrote a letter to the ABC detailing their love of the game and what it means to them, and how a sponsor would make the world of difference. So, just would like to read you this little bit in their words. It's a beautiful letter. They say, it's very hard for us as some of us have families, some have no jobs because there's not a lot of work out here. So it's a big struggle for us, but we sacrifice things because football is our life. We grew up with a football in our hands, always playing this. It's not a game to us. This is our life. So if there is anyone out there who would like to sponsor the Lake Nash Young Guns, I think that would be a great thing. Oh, man. Imagine if we could make that happen. Be amazing. That would be amazing. Go with Sanctimers. Nicole, there was some really terrible news overnight that came to light. Yeah, horrible to hear that Margaret Varco, who plays for Adelaide's Anglevale Football Club, now she was playing in the grand final on Sunday against Mount Lofty and hit her head in an accidental clash. 
Very sad. She left the ground conscious but collapsed in the locker rooms. Um, and it's really horrible to hear that she's in a critical critical condition now at Royal Adelaide Hospital. Um, our hearts go out to all of uh, Margaret's family and to Margaret. And we, you know, at this sanctum really wish her the best in a recovery um, you know, it's it's a it's always a horrible thing to see somebody go down playing, doing that playing sport, doing something that they love, and um, you know, especially when it's something so serious as this. We just hope wish her all the best. And it's got to be on Travis's mind. And how does he go play? You yeah, know? well, I can imagine for the whole family, it's horrific. But of yes, course. best wishes to Margaret and her family. Absolutely, Nicole. That is so true. Before we wrap up today, I also just wanted to um, do a little shout out to um, Caro and Corrie's podcast, Don't Shoot the Messenger. (laughs) Um, Now, something happened the other day. I was driving past Corrie's bookshop and I thought about going in. And saying hi, and then I remembered that um, she the first, <laughs> she, firstly, she doesn't know who I am, and secondly, the, that when I first met you, Nicole Hayes, someone was asking how we all knew each other, <laughs> and that the first time I met Nicole Hayes was during book week, and she she was at a bookshop, and I knew she was going to be there doing a signing, and so I thought, well, what a, well, she'd be so thrilled to meet some fans, I'm sure. So I turned up and hugged her and said, I'm Emma Race from you know, the messenger from from on the Twitter and the messenger and stuff. I'd never laid eyes on her before. I thought we had a lovely deal and <laughs> she almost called the cops. Yeah. So for that reason, I didn't stop at Corrie's book um, shop. But um, now that I put it out there, I Maybe think it's kind can. of a warning yeah. that I Maybe might. Maybe you did it, yeah. you'll end up doing a podcast with Corrie. Oh, that'd be lovely. I don't know. I don't have any recipes. But um, as, a, as a final shout out during the, during the week, because of book week, I put it out there on ABC Grandstand, um, book titles with um, players' names in it. And so lots of people were coming back. We had like Gorn Girl for Max Gorn. And, um, Diary of an Impy Kid. Diary of an Impy Kid. <laughs> there were so many good ones, but there was one that just rocked me in every single way. And it was this one. Are you there, God? It's me, Ablett. <laughs> because all all the Judy Bloom fans, yep. all the Geelong fans, I just loved it. I thought nice. it was perfection nice. and That's I had to share it here. One. What's yours? My darling, my Himmelberger. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gift that keeps on giving. Thank you so much for joining us today. We will be back on the radio this weekend, which is crazy to say. It's Saturday from 4 till 5 on ABC Melbourne, Melbourne local and, and grandstand, grandstand digital, but um, we'll be on promoting it on all of our socials once we know no. the details. I suppose <laughs> Nicole, that's what we're alluding to. Yeah. Um, but we will be back four till five, and then we'll be um on the radio during the finals campaigns of everyone. So yeah, right yeah. stand by for good. that hot mess. <laughs> goodbye week. Yeah. I know, goodbye week. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back next week and all there is left to say is go, go the bye. <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.